With supply chains becoming more complex, you need to stay on top of the latest logistics developments. So if you work with logistics, you need the Beyond the Box podcast from Maersk. It's the easy way to keep up to date with everything from digital disruption and logistics to the need for supply chain resilience in today's market. Find out more and keep ahead of the game with the Beyond the Box podcast on logistics insights at maersk.com slash insights. Powered by Clear Vision Development Group, this is Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast. Each week, we'll provide you with top business insights, fresh perspectives from world-class guests, and the tools you need to lead better than before. And now, here's your host, author and business coach, Tony Richards. Welcome to Better Than Before. As this is the last episode of the year, I'd like to reflect back on the challenges businesses have faced due to the pandemic. The coronavirus has rapidly made business as usual a phrase from the distant past, but we've all experienced changes to our work. C-suite executives have their work cut out for them. Business strategies must balance immediate needs of customers, employees, and community while still keeping their eyes on long-term competitiveness. So on our show today, we're going to look back at business and financial experts we featured on the podcast and the powerful advice They've shared with us to improve business revenue and wealth, especially in a post-pandemic market. My good friend Jim Hughes, a featured guest from earlier this season, specializes in growing the value of small to mid-sized businesses, a segment of the economy that has been significantly impacted this year by the pandemic. There's an article last uh, October in, in Fast Company. Uh, and they suggested that there are 15 million privately held businesses in the U.S. And they say that 60% of them, 9 million, are owned by people who were born before 1964, mm. baby boom. Um, and they, they go on to say that um, you know, like 50% of them, of that 9 million, will sell to their employees or sell to friend or um, family or just close between the next two and 15 years. Now that, that time frame does vary depending on who you talk to and what you read, but most of us all agree that that two to 15 year thing may have been accelerated by COVID. There's a lot of uh, people our age, guys and gals both, who are saying, you know, I don't have another financial downturn in my, I mean, I just can't do another one. Yep. Tell me about this Worth Growing project you've got. Worth Growing, like the, uh, the name implies, uh, helps small to mid-sized businesses grow the worth of their, of their companies. And we know and we've proven it time and time again that every business, every company has a brand. Sometimes it's well-defined and well-managed and in place, and other times it might be there by default. But more importantly, is that every brand has value, and very often more value than, um, than most people understand or, or realize. Um, so Worth Growing created an assessment tool a few years back 
for measuring the monetary value of brand-related intangible assets. We call it the pritium method. Um, what it does is the assessment actually adds a layer of value, additional value over a traditional business valuation. So this tool is, is really a godsend for um, somebody who's beginning to think about succession and wanting to exit their company and get the full price for their business. Well, I'm going to tell them, I tell them as often as I can, if you're going to get a business valuation now and try to sell it now, that valuation is going to be lower yeah. because of the uncertainty of COVID. So if you do this assessment and you add those intangible asset values, you may be able to raise that, that valuation back up to a reasonable number and go ahead and get out right away. I think it's a very timely idea to do that. I do too. And so I think I'm picking up from you too. Let's say I'm not thinking about selling my company right away. There's benefit for me also to go ahead and get a read on what I've got today, right? Sure. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. I think, I think that's a major benefit uh, to somebody. Uh, I mean, to enhance the value of, of your business, of your enterprise, I mean, that's just paramount to a healthy and uh, thriving business. And especially if you've got the time, if you're not going to sell right away, why not go ahead and engage in this brand development process or initiative and, and grow those, those, those values, you know, immensely. Um, once you have a brand in place that's really percolating, you, you realize the influence the brand has on product choice and, and, and brand loyalty, how it, how it can attract and, and retain and motivate talent, um, uh, you know, and most importantly, a good solid brand takes the pressure off of marketing budgets. Mm -hmm. What I mean by that is, and I've been doing this for a long, long time, a well-branded company typically has a smaller marketing budget and a poorly branded competitor because the brand can work that hard. So can you tell us a little bit about how the Predium method works? Sure. I don't want you to give away anything proprietary, but just kind of describe that <laughs> yeah. for our listeners. No, I won't. Okay. Um, well, there are um, brand and intangible asset value assessments in existence, primarily for publicly held big big companies, and they're all governed by the guidelines of ISO 10668. Uh, 10668 is um, uh, guidelines that were established in 2010 by the International uh, Standards Organization, and uh, it does govern and, and dictate how these valuations are done. However, um, there are none that exist for small to mid-sized companies. And so, um, you know, that was our job. That was the uh, what we decided we needed to do. Um, we set out to create a solution to that problem. And the solution was a unique process for measuring the monetary value of these intangible assets for small to mid-sized companies. Um, and the Pritium process or the Pritium method complies as closely as possible to 10668. Just for the most part, scaled smaller made more simple and of course 
much more economical. Whatever your valuation comes out to be from your tool, that that doesn't mean it has to stay at that valuation. You have opportunity based on the results to figure out ways to increase the value, right? Yes, and we were careful to, uh, to say increase the asking price. Right. Um, if you've got, let's let's say you're a, 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 a poorly branded company, it's been around 30 years and you're doing business and doing a great job, and you go through the assessment, you will probably find, at least the one from our experience, 5 to 20% additional value that has been discovered in your intangible assets. So let's say you've got a million dollar company value. Well, if you want to add 20% to that, that's $200,000. Want to add 10%, that's $100,000. So the point is, is that if you are not valuing these intangible assets, you're only going with a traditional business valuation, you know, you're leaving money on the table. Mm -hmm. Now, I'm careful to say, you're going to sell that business for what you're willing to take for it. I mean, you, you, you may leave a ton of money on, you know, if you want out by Friday and you, you know, you don't care and you know, you may, but the smart, smart operators are saying, okay, listen, I've had this company for 30 years. I've, I've built the brand up or I've built up what we call the brand and you know, by golly, sure it's worth something. That means my clients are going to be, more loyal to me. They're going to, you know, repeat and referral sale to me. Um, that's got value and it should have value, but in the traditional valuation, there's not a value placed on that. So I'm sure a lot of people are kind of curious about the process and, and how it all works. So if I wanted to start down this road, how, how does it work, Jim? Well, the process involves um, one of our highly trained pritium specialists. Um, who actually facilitates the, um, the assessment. And it's a three-session uh, process. Session number one is where we spend time with the business owner identifying the five compliant categories we're going to assess. Uh, each category of business is different. Hospitals different than retail, retail different than manufacturing and professional services and on and on and on. And so we want to put together the five appropriate areas of assessment that are compliant with 10668. Um, and then the next session is the actual uh, assessment day. And that is um, a day where we, uh, we get the, the company owner, of course, and I like to surround him or her with three to four, and I like four better than three, other people from the company. And I, because I'm looking for points of view and a different perspective than the CEO or the company president. For instance, I'd like to see somebody, if it's a manufacturer, somebody from the plant floor. I want somebody in there from finance. I'd love to have sales and marketing in there. And almost always I say, hey, isn't there somebody who's been here since the beginning? I want somebody with a lot of history about the company and the company president or owner. Uh, to to add to this assessment. The reason for this, Tony, is, um, no, as you know, all assessments are subjective. I mean, sure. they're, they're as good as we can make them. Yep. By, by adding those different perspectives, by adding that input from the plant floor, from finance and this and that, 
we start to make it much more objective. And then those scores get more realistic and more believable. And there's something for something that you can adopt and use to grow the business even further. Fantastic insight from Jim Hughes. Stay tuned to hear from more of our experts when Better Than Before returns. Brought to you by University Subaru. And right now, when you get a new Subaru during the Subaru Share the Love event, Subaru will donate $250 to a charity in need. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. The three-row Subaru Ascent. Room for up to eight passengers. Standard EyeSight driver assist technology. Standard symmetrical all-wheel drive plus up to 27 miles per gallon. Kelly Blue Book's most trusted and best overall brand for 2020. The three-row Subaru Ascent. Join us for the Subaru Share the Love event going on now. Subaru will donate $250 to purchases or lessees selected national and hometown charities. University Subaru. Homegrown and proud of it. See retailer or Subaru.com slash share for details. Are you working twice as hard but enjoying fewer rewards? Maybe you're highly accomplished, but you just can't seem to break through and make the next big move. Or you run a business that has begun to grow stagnant. It doesn't have to stay that way. Even the best leaders have felt as if their careers were spiraling out of control. But that's when they had to lead and lead big. Tony Richards' new book, The Big Idea, 52 Ways to Be a Better Leader Now, will help launch you forward in leadership. Learn how to take charge and lead yourself, lead others, and lead your company. Purchase online today at Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and our website, clearvisiondevelopment.com. Welcome back to Better Than Before. Back in August, I spoke with Daryl Amy, a revenue growth strategist, and he expanded on a number of opportunities that companies should consider in order to grow their revenue in a post-COVID world. Well, I think there are a number of things we've got to consider right now. Um, and the first one that is really, really important and is a, a fairly quick fix for most organizations that just need to pause and think about it is the message. What are you selling and what are your people buying? You know, if you think about it, I, I firmly believe that buyers don't buy products. Uh, it doesn't matter if you sell um, software, if you sell financial services, if you sell janitorial services, people don't buy your product or service. What they buy is the outcome that product or service delivers. Years ago, uh, Theodore Levitt, he was the father of modern marketing. He walked into his Harvard Business School class and he held up an electric drill bit. And he said, in the history of Home Depot or Lowe's or insert hardware store here, nobody has ever gone to buy a drill. What they bought was the hole that the drill made. And Seth Godin would take it a step further and say they didn't actually buy the hole. They bought the ability to drill the hole so they could hang the plaque on the wall and make themselves look good or make their wife happy. The point of all of this is, Tony, if you think about it, your product or service may not have changed, but the outcomes your clients want has likely changed. Gartner did research and they found out that before the crisis, people were, were looking for, if you were in the B2B space where, where I spend most of my time, they were looking for things like productivity, efficiency. Uh, but once the crisis happened, the buyers weren't buying productivity and efficiency. They were buying resiliency, 
flexibility, redundancy. So you may sell the exact same product you did before the crisis, but the way you talk about it needs to shift. And I really want to encourage all the listeners um, as an action point to just really think about what are the outcomes that your buyers are looking for right now? And you need to adjust your marketing message and your sales talk tracks to make sure you're selling what your uh, buyers are buying. That's awesome. So do you think there's going to be a large swing one way or the other from where things were before COVID? Boy, it's, it's so, uh, you know, I, I think the interesting thing, I, everyone's saying the new norm. I don't know if we know what the, the new norm is per se, but we do know there's some new dynamics that have become part of our culture. Uh, and so the obvious one is remote work, video conference, and, and the reach that that gives, um, you know, and in some ways we can all kind of go, oh man, you know, I missed the face-to-face and I, I, I miss going out to dinner and I, you know, I certainly can't wait for the face-to-face to come back. However, in the meantime, we've had the opportunity to look at our businesses in terms of, okay, well, there are some constraints for doing business virtually. What possibilities does that open up? And, you know, it's interesting if you look across just different different types of businesses. My business in particular, where we used to fly out to clients' offices to do revenue growth strategies, obviously we're now doing those remotely over Zoom. And, and so for us, it's just allowed us to accelerate our speed to market to help clients uh, you know, begin accelerating their revenue growth faster. I was talking with a client in the Northeast today that provides technology services across five states in the Northeast. And they've been very dependent in their business model on going on site and being face to face. But what they've realized now is they can scale beyond their geography really easily because buyers, you know, it have really, uh, they've opened up to the possibility of transacting business over zoom over online meetings. And so I, I think a lot of us, you know, we're now that we're over the initial shock, um, and now that we've uh, pivoted and proven that we can adjust far faster than we ever thought we could, I think it's a really good time for us to look forward and go, okay, well, I may not know what the future exactly holds. I may not know what the new norm is. However, what possibilities have opened up in my business now because of the shift in the way we do things in our culture? You know, we say on the C-suite network, Tony, you know, drive and thrive, right? This is the time to drive and thrive. And I think, you know, yes, it's been challenging. Yes, it's been, you know, there's so much of it. It is a total bummer. However, I think a lot of businesses have the opportunity to look and go, okay, well, what possibilities does this environment open up for us? You know, one of the things I want to talk to you about too, and I, I want you to um, give us a pre and a post if if they're different. But, you know, one thing companies I think always kind of struggle with is how much should we be growing and what should we set for our targets as far as growth is concerned? How's that changed? What was it like before the COVID crisis and what is it going <laughs> to look like going forward? Well, I laugh because, uh, you know, I've, my observation of working with organizations and helping them develop revenue growth strategies, that always begins with a conversation around growth goals. And um, my observation was that by and large, companies had two ways of setting growth goals before the COVID crisis. 
Uh, one was the spaghetti on the wall method. And we can kind of laugh about that, but you know, a lot of times companies set a goal at the beginning of the year and then they don't look at it and they come back at the end of the year and go, we hit it, we didn't, it wasn't really based on any reality. Um, the other way that's far more common is what I call the ruler method where we go, okay, we know what our growth trajectory has been over the last three years. So we've been growing at 10.5% year over year. So let's set our goal for next year at 10.5%. It's a conservative way to go about doing things. And it works well when the economy is going in the right direction, even though you might be leaving money on the table using the ruler method. The problem right now, though, is the ruler method uh, is not a good thing. It's pointing in the wrong direction for most organizations. <laughs> you know, they say in the investment world, the trend is your friend. But if your revenue just dropped, uh, the trend is not your friend. So how do you set goals going forward? Uh, and this is a really, really common question we ask, we get asked because, you know, how, how do we figure this out? How do we set something realistic? And I think the way to do it is to just go down one level and ask yourself the question, what drives revenue? What are the sources of revenue? And I believe that if you boil it down to the most basic level, there really are only two ways to grow revenue. We get net new customers and we sell more to our current customers. So net new and cross sell. And the measurements for those are actually really simple. The first net new is how many customers do we have? And I've got a baseline now that I can set a growth goal on. If I have a thousand customers now, I can set goals to grow the number of customers. The second me measurement is what is my revenue per customer, which is actually simple math. Take your total revenue for the period, divide it by your number of customers, and now you have a baseline for your revenue per customer. Now, what I recommend is both is companies, rather than looking at that total revenue number, go, okay, hey, realistically, what do you think we can do in terms of net new customer ads? You know, if we have the sales processes in place, what can we bring on board? And then the second question to ask is, if we're doing a good job of managing our client base and have the processes in place to cross sell more to our clients, how much do we think we could increase our revenue per customer? Now, if you add those two together, then I think you get a realistic total revenue goal. And what I've found, Tony, is if you can show reasonable conservative growth in total number of customers and in revenue per client at the same time, you can grow far quicker than you thought. In fact, if you just pull the spreadsheet out, if you go to, um, if, if you text revenue to 21,000, you can access our toolkit. And the first thing on there is a, a revenue growth planner that just, you know, says, hey, plug in your number of customers, plug in your and figure out your revenue per customer, and then set a goal of say 12% growth in each one of those areas. And you'll see on that spreadsheet, you can double your revenue in just around 36 months. But it, it takes like peeling it down a level and putting it on something you can actually get your arms around, which is how many customers do we have and what's our revenue per customer? Yeah. So tell us about the law of exponential sales growth. Well, so that we've touched on the first principle of exponential sales growth, which is if you can get net new business, number of clients and cross-selling revenue per client growing at the same time, you can grow exponentially. But what I found, Tony, is most companies are usually good at one or the other. They're good at driving net new business or they're good at managing their clients and selling more to their current client base. And what I find, and, and 
in most of the clients we work with in the B2B sales space, they're really good at net new. Their salespeople can go out and find and land new deals. But when it comes to cross-selling, you know, they're just not that great at it. They don't have um, processes and capabilities in place. So if you can get both going at the same time, as we alluded to earlier, if you can get a healthy rate of net new going and get a healthy rate of cross-sell going, um, you know, you can double your revenue organically between you know, around a three-year mark for most organizations. But there's another factor in this that uh, is, is really the, 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 the fuel. I call it the fuel for your growth engine. And that is what we've been talking about is your ideal clients. You know, I, I love to quote uh, Mike Michalowicz. One of my favorite books he wrote was called The Pumpkin Plan. And it's how to grow large pumpkins. Mm -hmm. And in that book, he says, not all clients are created equal. And, you know, that rubs a lot of us the wrong way because we go, we provide excellent service to everybody. I get that. But the reality is there are some clients that are a better fit for your business than others. There are some clients that have the potential to buy everything that you sell. Uh, and they're a great fit for your organization. And what we find when we go in and work with companies is that usually when you look at those ideal clients and then you start to say, okay, well, what if that ideal client was 100% sold, meaning that they bought everything that you offer? Oh my. And we looked at that revenue over 10 years. Mm. And then, and that, that, that's always a fun exercise. Oh, if yeah. you're listening, you can do that. You can hit pause on this podcast right now and just go, man, ideal client, if they bought everything that I sold over the next 10 years, the number is really exciting. It also puts into perspective how well you should treat those ideal clients. That's right. But if you contrast that with kind of your bread and butter client, you know, that is um, your average client, you typically we find that the ideal clients are 20, 30x and sometimes more in revenue potential. So if you want to accelerate your revenue growth and most companies, especially the ones that have taken a hit with the COVID crisis, need to accelerate their revenue growth, focus on those 20x, 30x clients and creating the experience that is going to attract them and make sure that they move uh, into being 100% sold. It's my experience too that it's a little easier to sell a client you already have than get a new one. It it really it it is. I mean, ever, all you know, any any common sense would say that, and there's all kinds of data to back that up. But the reality is that most companies don't do a good job of managing their ideal clients, and mm -hmm. I think it's really important as a very simple exercise to go. Okay, you know, let's get the eighty twenty rule. It's in full effect in every business, I believe. By the way good old Vilfredo Pareto from the 1800s nailed it and, and go, who are the top 20% of our clients and, and look and then go, okay, how can we structure this company? How can we structure our offerings? How can we structure, create this experience so that our ideal clients are, you know, just all in on what we're doing and want to bring their friends along with them. I mean, this is really the key to creating um, to accelerating growth and also creating the type of business you really enjoy getting up on Monday morning and going to work in. We'll continue our discussion with our last expert on Better Than Before right after this. 
The three-row Subaru Ascent. Room for up to eight passengers. Standard EyeSight driver assist technology. Standard symmetrical all-wheel drive plus up to 27 miles per gallon. Kelly Blue Book's most trusted and best overall brand for 2020. The three-row Subaru Ascent. Join us for the Subaru Share the Love event going on now. Subaru will donate $250 to purchases or lessees selected national and hometown charities. University Subaru. Homegrown and proud of it. See retailer or Subaru.com slash share for details. Receive weekly coaching tips from Tony Richards, delivered straight to your inbox. Whether you're a CEO or an entrepreneur, Tony can help you reach your goals and give you a competitive edge within your industry. Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo covers topics ranging from leadership development to teamwork to company culture and more. Text the word leadership to 38470 to sign up for Tony's Monday Morning Coaching Memo or sign up online at clearvisiondevelopment.com. We're back, and in our last segment today, we'll complete our discussion with Mindy McCubbin, founder of Truman Wealth Advisors. Earlier this year, Mindy offered a powerful definition on true wealth, which goes beyond just accumulating money. So I really set out to modernize what the definition of an advisor um, really is. And, you know, most people, if they think of financial advisor, they think of, oh, that's kind of a stuffy uh, person that you know, just I give my money to and I, I, I'm not really sure what happens, but they do something with it. And I talk to them maybe once a year or once every other year. Um, and I saw a real gap in the market, um, especially when it came to servicing women and when it came to just the feminine principles of connection and community. Um, and what I mean by that is, is that, um, you know, most of the time people will look at money and they think very much that, you know, it's just financial wealth and building wealth is, is only financial wealth. And I have a, a more of a, you know, my vision or philosophy is, is that it's more than just, you know, wealth is not just financial wealth and really true wealth combines a couple of different aspects. It combines your, you know, your money, which is your financial wealth, but then there's also social wealth, which is your status. Um, there's also your physical wealth, which is your health. And then there's also time wealth, which is freedom. And so I think you have to nurture and appreciate each one of those areas to really feel true wealth. And, um, and there's not a really good process within the brokerage community or within um, the finan financial advisor community to, to go through a process to ask people, what are their values? around money and how can they align the way that they earn and spend and invest their money with those values and that you know you have to balance all of those principles you might have high income um, or a job with status but that you know you you sometimes can uh, trade off your health and your freedom and so how can you make sure that those principles are all in balance is is what i try to work with people um, you know, while I do handle their financial wealth and help them to compound, um, compound their wealth, 
I help them also to point it in the direction that is most right for them when it comes to their values. Well, I love that definition. So that's a lot of value that you're adding. Is there other value you add to your clients or you help them get better than before? Yeah. Um, so one of the things that I have tried to do, and this is where I feel like I'm trying to go back to my vision of modernizing um, and making, um, you know, in incorporating maybe more feminine principles into what is traditionally a very male dominated field. So just to give you an example. Um, so I came from the investment asset management world, which is less than 10% female. And, um, you know, I moved into the financial, the personal advisory space, which is only 25% female. And so from a diversity standpoint, um, you know, one of my goals was to say, what I want to add is some of the principles of community and connection. You know, there's some very masculine principles that tend to be in financial services, which are great. Your portfolio management is, is a lot about performance and understanding numbers and, um, and you know, just being very driven. And that's all very important. I'm, I would not discount that at all. And I'm, I'm completely comfortable in that. Um, but I also think community and connection and opening doors for people, especially women, to talk more about their money um, and to talk about that with friends, with their advisors, to be more open and transparent with their spouses about it, um, with their parents and with their kids, and trying to have a, uh, a better sense of what do those conversations look like. That was one of my goals. And that's some of the value add that I try to add to my clients is, is we have um, a process that we go through that really tries to um, not only find what their values are and make sure they're pointing their money towards their values, but then also, you know, what do they want their legacy to be and how can they, and maybe part of that legacy is how they talk to their kids about money or how they interact with their spouse about money. Well, I think, you know, um, when one of the things I always liked about our conversations is we would talk about different investors like a Warren Buffett or whatever. And I think, I think when you start to learn more about it you're like wow these guys and and ladies have a method you know there's a method to their madness about how they approach the market and you're talking about you have a process with your clients too so tell me a little bit more about the importance of having that process and having that available for your clients yeah so so again thanks for this question i think it's so important and it's one of the most overlooked pieces in financial services where a, an advisor can really add value and you know i try to describe it to my clients this way is is that if you kind of picture you know yourself and you're 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 going along and you don't have an advisor um, involved in your life um, you know you're going to kind of just end up you're not quite sure where that is but you're just going to kind of be on this same path um there's other people that you know like we talked about that may make emotional decisions or take wrong turns and 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 they kind of go off the path um and then you know if you look at the people who go through life and they they are able to build really a truly wealthy life where they get to where they want to be Really, the difference 
um, between those people that are very successful and getting to where they want to be and the people that that kind of go off path, it's really drift over time. And so, you know, how can I help someone ride the curve up? The best way that I know how to do that, and this comes from my years of being in the aerospace industry, is checklists. And so I have a series of checklists that we go through to make sure that you're not drifting. And, you know, how can we always be talking about how are you thinking about your freedom and how you want that to look? How are you thinking about your physical health and what are the trade-offs and how much do you need to invest in that? And, you know, how much are you thinking about what you need to do with your money, how you save it, how you earn it? What are the, you know, what are the different pieces that we need to talk about? And, and by having a, a disciplined process, both on the financial planning side and on the investment management side, that's how I feel like I add the most value. So, you know, we combine their life plan with an investment plan, with a financial plan, and use checklists for all three of those areas. And that's how we get to what I, you know, what I described earlier as really a true wealth plan. If you'd like to hear more of the interviews from these experts, visit our website at clearvisiondevelopment.com. Well, that's our show today. Better Than Before is brought to you by University Subaru. And right now, when you get a new Subaru during the Subaru Share the Love event, Subaru will donate $250 to a charity in need. University Subaru, homegrown and proud of it. On behalf of our associate producer, Whitney Coker, and chief producer, William Foster, I'm Tony Richards, reminding you, everything gets better when you get better. Thank you for listening to Better Than Before with Tony Richards, a business leaders podcast powered by Clear Vision Development Group. For more resources from Tony, visit clearvisiondevelopment.com. Join us next time for another episode of Better Than Before with Tony Richards. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>